So today's Bible reading will be from Psalm 89, all 52 verses. So bear with me. Okay. Psalm 89. the Ezrahite. I will sing of the loving kindnesses of Yahweh forever. From generation to generation, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever, in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have cut a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne from generation to generation. Selah. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Yahweh. Your faithfulness also is the assembly in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the sky is comparable to Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty is like Yahweh, a God greatly dreaded in the council of the holy ones and fearsome about all those who are around him? O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Yah? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When, it waves when its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies with your strong arms. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon sing with joy at your name. You have a mighty arm, your hand is strong, your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the loud shout of joy. O Yahweh, they walk in the light of your face. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the beauty of their strength, and by your favor our horn is, exa is exalted. For our shield belongs to Yahweh, and our king to the Holy One of Israel. Formerly you spoke in vision to your holy ones and said, I have bestowed help to a mighty one. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of unrighteousness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers, he will call to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I'll, I will set up his seat to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they profane my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with striking. But I will not break off my loving kindnesses from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not profane, nor will I alter what comes forth from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. Selah. But you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your slave. You have profaned his crown to the ground. 
You have broken down all his walls. You have visited his strongholds with ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies be glad. You also turn back the edge of his sword and have not made him arise in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have robbed him up with shame. Selah. How long, O Yahweh, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is, for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he provide his soul escape from the power of Sheol? Selah. Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your slaves, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Yahweh, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be Yahweh forever. Amen and amen. Um, I would like to start with a very small but uh, true story, uh, an anecdote, if you'd like. Um, I know a person who, about a decade or so ago, maybe a decade and a half, he had some minor complaints and uh, he went to visit, a, visit his doctor. Um, these complaints were bothering him for, for a long time, so it made sense. Um, and at the checkup, everything seemed fine. Uh, but just, just to be sure, the doctor ordered a few tests. And a few days later, when he went to get back his uh, results, the doctor told him that he had an advanced stage of cancer. When he heard the diagnosis, uh, he said he did not know what to do or who to call or how to respond to it. But the first thing he did uh, after sort of digesting the news was at the hospital, he went to a kiosk, purchased a packet of cigarettes, and uh, he started smoking. Uh, he has that habit until today, uh, and that's, that's how he dealt with the anxiety and fear that hit him at that moment. Uh, at the moment, he's doing fine. He's, he got his treatment and he's cancer free. Uh, but just for a moment, imagine what you would do in such a situation. You've got a family, you're maybe 40 years old, and you've just got news from the doctor that you might not live for more than five years. How would you feel and what would you do? The anxiety will probably hit immediately. You'll, you'll start fearing things and probably even doubting God. And later when you get to praying about it, uh, maybe you'd find yourself asking questions similar to the psalmist here. Will you hide yourself forever? Why does your wrath burn like fire? Where are your former mercies, O Lord? As humans who are sinful even from birth, we are anxious beings. We may experience different levels of anxiety, but everyone experiences them nonetheless. Uh, we might have several reasons for it, uh, from teens who feel anxious about going to school the next day or starting the first day of school, to a man fearing death in his final days. But the question is, how do you deal with it? Not just with the simple things like, how will I do in the interview when, when Andis came up and asked me, I was a little, I was already nervous that I'm preaching after three months, but <laughs> there was that as well. Uh, not only in these situations, when, when, when your world is shaken, when you receive a terminal diagnosis, or when war breaks out in your country, or even in the neighboring country, 
or when you lose a loved one? I believe Psalm 89 gives us a great answer to that question. From the initial reading, one can understand that Psalm 99 talks about some crisis in Israel. It was not a personal one for the psalmist Ethan, but it was a national one. The verses, they seem to focus on the king and uh, on Israel. So this leads us to conclude that the crisis that he was worrying over was probably the king's spiritual fall or some sort of problem for the king, or maybe it was the kingdom's spiritual fall. And uh, as I just mentioned, the psalm is written by Ethan, who lived during the time of David and Solomon. So the king in this psalm could be very much one of them. Uh, there's a verse in 1 Kings chapter 4, which indicates that Ethan was a wise man, and he has written this psalm in a contemplative manner. Uh, as Robert was just explaining the word Selah, it's a lot of places in this psalm that he wants us to pause and think about those words. So Ethan begins by considering God, his greatness, his might, his loving kindness, and many of his attributes. He also considers God's covenant, uh, which is a result of his character. And then suddenly Ethan goes in the opposite direction, lamenting the current situation and asking God all of these questions. So the shift that he makes is quite the jump. One moment he is all praise and celebrating God, and then suddenly it's lamentation and questioning God. Let me read some of the verses. You have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your slave. How long, O Yahweh, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? These are quiet, harsh comments to raise to God. Um, if you think about it, uh, most, if not all of you here can describe the love of God, not just in some generic way, but in a very personal way that, uh, that is driven by your experiences of God working in your life, pulling you toward the truth, helping you in, in situations in your life. And it's a very real description of God's love. But at the same time, all of us, despite those experiences, we have all forgotten that same love in various moments in our life. The reason that we are startled by Ethan's shift is our mistaken conclusion that we must either love God perfectly without any doubts, or we have absolutely failed in, doings, in, in loving God. Don't get me wrong, doubt is not something that is encouraged. Uh, it is even sinful to lack confidence in God. At the same time, doubt does not lead to your condemnation. We must be careful when we deal with these words. Doubt can lead to unbelief, and that will lead to your condemnation. But as men, we struggle with sinful flesh, and part of that struggle is dealing with doubt and anxiety. What I hope to do today is to show from Psalm 89 the biblical way of dealing with it. Uh, let us begin with the latter part of the song and see what Ethan laments. What leads Ethan to express this, what seems to be frustration at God's supposed inaction? As I mentioned earlier, Ethan seems to focus on the anointed one, the king of Israel. 
In fact, he doesn't raise a single concern that is personal about any danger to him or anything like that. He complains that God has cast off and rejected his anointed. God has profaned his crown. God has broken down his walls. He has exalted the right hand of his enemies. Instead of making him glad, God has made his enemies glad, and he has cast his throne to the ground. Far more than that, Ethan claims God has renounced the covenant of his servant. And that is such a serious accusation to bring against a God whose one of the most important characters is faithfulness. So the question here is, is Ethan sinning? And I would argue that he is not. I'll, I'll give you two points. The first thing is, Ethan is not saying this to himself and not coming to the conclusion that God is not faithful and turning toward unbelief. Ethan is rather bringing his worries and doubts straight to God. He asks with brutal honesty if God would hide himself forever. The sinful doubt and burden that he carried as he witnessed Israel's crisis, whatever that may have been, he brought to God and laid it at his feet. Every question he had was not answered by his own experience or his own reasoning, but he left it for God to answer in his own time. Ethan waited for God. He trusted him with his doubts and he was honest with God. When we hear a bad diagnosis from the doctor or when we lose a loved one and the doubts and anxieties start building up, the first thing that we ought to do is take those doubts to God with absolute honesty. It is better than suppressing it or letting it sit in the back of your back of your head and developing and becoming something worse. Or even worse, you deal with it in a sinful manner. We ought to ask God to strengthen our faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The second reason why Ethan is not sinning is how he begins and ends his psalm. Regardless of the doubts and anxieties that he had, he was able to end the psalm with, blessed be Yahweh forever, amen and amen. That is to say, certainly, certainly, the Lord is to be blessed. Even more wonderful is how he begins the psalm. The vast majority of the psalm, if you noticed, more than even double the amount of lament that he has, is Ethan praising and singing God, uh, singing of God's attributes. His loving kindness, his faithfulness, and he also remembers the covenant God made with his people. Here's the first verse. I will sing of the loving kindnesses of Yahweh forever, from generation to generation. I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Do you see how opposite it is to his doubts? This is the beginning of his contemplation. He starts by remembering God's love, the fact that it is unchanging and it lasts forever. In fact, he doesn't just remember it. He says he will proclaim it to others at a time of crisis. That's how he begins. He then remembers the Davidic covenant that promises to establish David's seed forever. And then there's a pause, Selah. And he's contemplating these things. Then he considers God, how wonderful he is. He declares that God is incomparable, that he is to be feared. He also sings of God's faithfulness and sovereignty. He remembers all his mighty deeds and all of his attributes. 
He remembers how, de uh, how God defeated Egypt and scattered all Israel's enemies. He also remembers the Davidic covenant in, in great detail. The great and incomparable God to whom heaven and earth belong promised to David. I have bestowed help to a mighty one. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. And he proceeds to detail it in such a way that it is the exact opposite of what he sees at the moment. Uh, just remember his lament where he said, God has cast off, God has rejected, God has renounced the covenant. God has made his enemies glad. His praises are for the exact opposite thing. God's loving kindness will be kept for him forever. God's covenant shall be confirmed to him. God's hand will be established with him. His adversaries will be crushed before him. Ethan also remembers this statement from God about his faithfulness. And this is God speaking. My covenant I will not profane, nor will I alter what comes forth from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. He pauses again. And then his lamentation begins. Ethan might seem like he can't make up his mind about God. Is he faithful? Is he not faithful? He's not playing a game of, he loves me, he loves me not. However, from the psalm you can see that he is absolutely certain of God's attributes. Or else he wouldn't be able to elaborate on it and sing about it in such a wonderful manner. The problem is the reality in which he lives and the the crisis that he sees and the questions he faces as a result. He sees the crisis, maybe it's the rise of Absalom against David or Solomon's spiritual downfall. And naturally he is anxious for the result of this crisis in light of God's promises. Just as the serpent asked Eve, did God really say that? He faces the same question. But unlike Adam who was deceived, Ethan is not. He considers God and his words. He remembers his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice, and his covenant promises, his words. Often we consider prayer to be bringing our petitions to God. The English word prayer even has such a meaning, a solemn request. And all that is not wrong. However, prayer is not just bringing petitions to God. It is an act of worship and is filled with confessions. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. We begin our Father in heaven. And already we will have made several confessions. There is a God. He is sovereign over everything. He rules from heaven. And he is our Father. Just four words with four confessions. And Ethan is doing the same thing. In a crisis, he is praying not that God would change the situation or that he would act immediately or, or even that he does what he wants him to do. But Ethan is praying so he can confess the truth about God and his promises. And he is doing so to find strength for his heart in these truths during times of difficulty. 
you look at the entire psalm and you will find two petitions. Uh, verse 47, remember what my span of life is. And verse 50, remember, O Lord, the reproach of your slaves. His petitions do not ask for God to act in a specific way. He doesn't tell God, do this, do that. This is what I want done. He only asks God to remember his people because he knows he will. He asks God to remember how small and fragile they are and how the enemies have despised them. For God to remember their king's lowly state. What Ethan does here, which is considering God's loving kindness, reminds me of what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus preached about warrior anxiety in that sermon. Uh, it was over everyday provisions, uh, food and clothing. And the counteraction that he provides to worry is look at the birds in the sky and observe the flowers in the field. Look and observe how God give, provides them with food, how God clothes them richly, and ask yourself the question, am I not worth more to God than a bird or a flower that is here today and gone tomorrow? Jesus is asking us to consider God's love in times of worry. How does one do that? This is supposed to be an active consideration. It's not just shower thoughts, something that you think about when you're doing something else. One way to actively consider God is to make your prayers more God-centered. Pay attention to the confessions that you make. Don't just pray passively, but pray actively. Even if it is a recitation of a memorized prayer. Another thing that you can do actively instead of passively is reading the Word of God, not just in a mechanical way, but focusing on every word, contemplating what those words mean, what is the wisdom there, what does it tell me about God. If you need confessions about God's character, where else are you going to find them? The last thing that I want to encourage you to do is to worship and praise God for his goodness, his faithfulness, and his loving kindnesses, particularly in times of difficulty. And if you can't find the strength to do any of these things, share your troubles and anxieties with the church, with fellow believers. And our, our, the job of the church is to serve and encourage the believer in, in such times. After hearing all this, you might have this response. All of this looks and sounds great on paper, but when push comes to shove and reality hits hard, I don't think birds and flowers will be on my mind. But even if you did not respond in that manner, the overall idea is realistic. We are more often than not concerned about ourselves with our problems, that shifting the focus from ourselves and our problems to God, especially during a time of crisis, is very difficult. Let's give the kids a little time. Yeah. Right, so let's shift our focus back. As I was saying, it's difficult to shift our focus from ourselves toward God at a time of crisis. And 
all of the practical advice, it sounds great, but um, how long is it going to help? How long are you going to force yourself to be mindful in your prayer? Before we come to any conclusion, let's take a look at verses 38 to 45. But you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your slave. You have profaned his crown to the ground. You have broken down all his walls. You have beset his strongholds with ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies be glad. You also turn back the edge of his sword and have not made him arise in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have wrapped him up with shame. Now, Ethan might be singing about David or Solomon. However, there is a striking similarity between Jesus' suffering and what Ethan describes here. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. God was full of wrath against his anointed. His kingship was mocked with a crown of thorns. His crown and throne were profaned. They cast lots for his clothes. He was plundered. He became a reproach even to Peter, a very close disciple. The right hand of his enemies were exalted and they were all glad. His splendor ceased as he was wrapped up in shame. And of course, his days were shortened because he died for our sins. God turned away from his son as he hung on the cross, bearing our sin. God hid his face from Jesus Christ. He was cast off and rejected. The loving kindness of God goes above and beyond meeting our worldly needs of food or clothing or anything else, even meeting those needs at dire circumstances. It resulted in our greatest needs being met, the need for our sins to be cleansed and the need for restoration of a relationship with God. He dealt with our greatest fear, the fear of death. Above and beyond that, we have a mediator, a high priest, who has suffered in every way as us. As far as Ethan was concerned, God had not suffered anything. God is incomparable to him in every way. He is in heaven and Ethan is on earth. He was unrelatable in a sense. But amid, amidst all those reasons, he was still able to contemplate his situation in a God-centered manner. For us, though, God became flesh. Jesus emptied himself and he became a man. Even more, he became a servant to men. We cannot say God does not know what it feels like. How much more should we, should we be able to carry everything to God in prayer? How much more should we be able to trust him? This is how the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 4, verse 14 and, and on. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of Jesus who is in heaven, we have an assurance of God's faithfulness. Eaton's prayer was answered, the answer was Jesus Christ. God has proved his faithfulness. We can hold firmly to the faith that we profess and not doubt God. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence without any doubt to receive mercy and grace in our time of need, which is pretty much always. Even as I was preparing for this sermon, I found it easier to start with the smaller latter portion of the psalm, which is the lament. And the reason for that is it's so much more relatable. If I had started with the love of God and went on for about 20 minutes, uh, after five minutes, you'd be thinking, all right, that's, that's all great. Um, I already know that, what's, what's new? This, is often, this thinking is often reflected in our prayers too. Our petitions, for, our petitions and requests, they outnumber our praise. The word of God does not condemn us for such behavior though. We are actually encouraged to share our petitions, to pray unceasingly. But today we've heard a psalm with Ethan's prayer for God to remember his people. And we know that God has answered this prayer by establishing the throne of Jesus Christ. His anointed one who has now become our mediator, our priest, and because of whom we can have confidence in God. We have a psalm that reminds us that God's anointed one suffered for our sake. We have a psalm that encourages us to shift our focus from our problems and doubt, not denying them, but to focus on God's faithfulness and his loving kindness and to bring everything to, to him in prayer. We love God only because he loved us first. And it is a psalm that asks us to consider God and sing of his loving kindnesses in times of crisis. Let us believe that he is indeed able to strengthen us. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we do indeed struggle with our sins, particularly with anxiety and doubt. And forgive us for the times that we have doubted you, Lord, and help us to be honest with you and help us with our doubts. Help us with our everyday anxieties. Help us in all of our circumstances. We give you praise, Lord, uh, for your loving kindness, for Jesus Christ, your Son, um, through whom we can come to you in absolute confidence uh, with, uh, with uh, no fear that you will condemn us for our doubts. We thank you for all these things, and we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory alone. Amen.